All right, Rabbi, say good morning. Let us begin. want to begin by thanking our sponsors for today's year. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors, Yol and Sarah Kalman, for dedicating all of this Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of the birth of their daughter, Oriya Tahel, and in the hope that Amir Sashem, all those who are davening for children, will have their tefillos answered Bekarov. To thank Stephen Tarizin for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of their grandchildren, Adin Svi. And Naftali Moshe, to thank Shirley Elbaum and family for dedicating the Sherman Drushos this month in memory of Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov Kabal Ben Rabavram Menachem, and to thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Gedalia and Dana Rosenblum, for dedicating the Shir in commemoration of the Yerzite of Dana's mother, Chana Bas Moshe, Zichron Lebracha. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nisham will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. And also with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today. Today, but incredible Gemara to do today. Today's Daf is Tess Zion 16. We are picking up on Tess Vavam of days 15b. And Abosa, we're picking up in the wide lines, three lines in, end of the line. When the king saw Esther HaMalka. So says the Gemara, Esther had three malachim, three angels, who were helping her at that moment. One literally, again, lifted her head, right, or lifted her neck. So in other words, Esther was, we're going to see, Esther was scared. Esther was scared. So one malach, so therefore, like, she was almost like, like crouched, like stooped. So one malach helped to lift her head. One malach that, again, endowed her with extra chesed, literally a strand of chesed. And one that extended the scepter. In other words, the Gemara seems to indicate that it's not so posh that Achashverosh was going to extend the scepter to Esther. And a Malach came and helped to extend the scepter. So the Gemara says, the Kama. So interestingly enough, extending the scepter doesn't just mean that the Malach helped to raise the scepter, but it means he extended the scepter. How much did he extend the scepter? So the scepter was two. The Malach extended it to twelve. Others say sixteen. Twenty-four. It was extended it sixty amos. By the way, you see this concept of miraculous extensions. Where else do you find this? By the daughter of Basparo, by Bitya, like we just saw in last week's parsha. I was just referenced to the Gemara that amazingly enough, again, Rashi says, Bitya reached out to go ahead and take the Teva. And again, even though it was clearly far out of reach, she was still able miraculously to go ahead and reach it. And you see the same miracle again with the teeth of the wicked. Rashi points out over here that this is a reference to the story of Og Melech HaBashat. Og, who was one of the giants, was also one of the kings of Canaan, wanted to throw a mountain upon Klali. So he had uprooted a mountain as we were traveling through the desert, and a miracle occurred. Insects bore through the mountain. The mountain fell on Og's head. The miracle occurred that Og's teeth extended, and essentially the mountain got lodged on his head. So the Gemara is using this as, a, as, a, as another reference to miraculous extensions. So we see again a miraculous extension by the scepter of Achashverosh, by the hand of Basparo and by the teeth of Og. Incredible. So the Gemara says, I'll take you Shibarta. So again, literally, you break the teeth of the wicked. Reish Lakish says, don't read it as break, rather read it as elongate. 
Rabbi Bar Afan Amr Shabbosi, you know, just I'll, I'll mention the Lublina Rav, just because it's Kedai to mention the Rav, the Lublina Rav, says by Bas Paro, such a beautiful idea, we've said it before in the past, Lublina Rav says, why did Bas Paro even bother to reach out to get the basket? Now, as I will say, you reach for something that you think you have a shaykhus, you think you have a chance of holding on to, but you know, if I want the tissues on that, uh, on that table, I'm not reaching out my hand, it's not shaykh, it's too far. It's too far. What's, what's the, so why does Bas Paro extend her hand in order to go ahead and get the teva? So the Lublin Rav says, you see from here that sometimes in life, even when something looks impossible, if you feel it has to get done, you have to try. Bas Paro saw a baby. She knew it was a baby in the basket. So she felt, what am I going to do? Not try? Not try to save the child? Not try to do something? Sometimes when it looks impossible, but it's important, you have to try. You have to try. And the hope is that if the cause is a noble one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help you accomplish the impossible. That's the Lina Rav and Bas Paro. Alright, others say that it extended 200 Amas. So once again, the king says to Esther Malka, So Machashir says to Esther, What's your request? Until half of the kingdom I'll give you. So the Gemara says, Interesting. First, Achashir was giving, but not so giving, right? I'll give you up to half of the kingdom, but not the whole kingdom. Furthermore, Nor will I give you the thing which divides the kingdom. What's the thing which divides the kingdom? So I won't give you that thing which stands in the middle of my kingdom, which is the Beis HaMikdash. So Rebbe says, this is very interesting. Remember again, as you pointed out before, Achashverosh halted the construction of the Beis HaMikdash. So he says to Esther, I'll give you anything, but I'm not going to give you the Beis HaMikdash. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that Achashverosh suspected that Esther was Jewish? Or does this mean Achashverosh already kind of staking out his territory, telling her, I'll give you whatever you want, but there are certain things that are non-negotiable I'm not giving you? Good. So what does Esther say? Here's my request. I would like the king and Haman to come to a party. So it says, Why did Esther invite them to a party? What's, what's the pshat? What, what was the pshat? Here's what's interesting. We know the whole story of the Megillah. But the Megillah asking a different question. Esther, what's the plan? Right? What's the plan? Obviously, you're inviting everyone to a party. You must have had a plan. What's your plan? Right? What was the plan? So says the Rabbi says incredible. Rabbi Lazar Amar, Pachim Tamna Lo. Ultimately, again, literally translated, she was stirring the coals against Haman. So was like, that doesn't really, what Rabbi Lazar is saying is, Esther had a plan. Okay, that's nice. We're, we're, we're asking, what's the plan? He just said, she's stirring the coal, she has a plan. Fine. She learned this lesson from her grandfather's home, which is, again, a piece of Solomonic wisdom. If your enemy is hungry, feed him bread. Which I will say is an interesting idea that sometimes the way to neutralize one's enemies is to smother them with kindness. So perhaps Esther Malka feels if she goes in and she brings Haman into her confidence, to get even more into the king's confidence, maybe this will affect a turnaround. Remir Omer was actually very profound as well because remember, we've seen by Haman that so much of what, 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 what um, pushes him 
to engage in this egregious behavior is a lack of self-esteem, a lack of self-confidence, a lack of self-worth, right? Nothing's worth anything to me when I'm reminded that I was a servant to Mordechai. So she thinks maybe if we build them up, build up a person, sometimes you build a person up and, and they do good things. Good. This is very interesting. says, Esther is concerned about Haman leading a rebellion against Ahasuerus. So Esther felt, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Keep him close, that way no rebellion. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says, Esther didn't want anyone to suspect that she was a Jew. Well, the best way to avoid anyone suspecting you're a Jew is what? Invite the archenemy of the Jewish people to a party. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Kedeshu Matsui, I'm sorry, um, Rabbi Nechemya Omer, Kedeshilo Yomru Yisrael Achos Yeshlan Beis Hamelach, Viasichu Daita Minarachim. Incredible. Rabbi Nechemya says, Esther didn't want the Jew- Jewish people to stop davening. Esther was nervous that the Jewish people would feel, we don't have to daven. We've got a Jewish queen. We've got a Jewish queen. So it's almost like, what's this incredible thing? Esther, which is fascinating, Esther wanted the people to feel a sense of Yeyush. To feel a sense of despair. Can you imagine you're a Jew in Shushan and you see that Esther Hamalka invited Haman to a party? Right? What's your reaction to that? There's clearly no hope, right? Or at least, there's no human intervention here, right? Esther is inviting Haman to a party. She's lost. She's lost. So Esther, which is actually an incredible thing, sometimes the only time that people, sometimes the only time that people take decisive action is when they have no other options. It's like in general, we spoke about this before, people really only make changes when they have to, when they have to. It could be that Esther feels that the people haven't mobilized enough. So what does she do? She creates a sense of desperation. How does she create desperation? Make a party and invite Haman. That's going to throw the Jews into a tizzy and going to make them recognize they need to do the tshuva they need to do, they need to do the tefillos they need to do, because there is no one to rely on except HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Kedeshi Matzei Rabbi Yossi says, it's interesting, there's not really a plan. There's not really a plan per se, right? There's ultimately just the idea, once again, of keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. And Esther's hoping if Haman is close, the opportunity to undermine him will come up. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu will see my pain. Look how desperate I have become that I am inviting Ahasuerus, the enemy, the man who wants to destroy my people. I'm inviting him to a party. Look how desperate I am, Hashem. Perhaps Hashem will feel my desperation and spring into action. This is incredible. says, Esther planned on acting in an intimate way towards Haman. Now, what do I mean by that? Almost like, maybe intimate is the wrong word, like a flirtatious fashion. She wanted to make the king think that she was having an affair with Haman. And if she can make the king that, then what happens? What happens? He'll kill them both. And even though, again, that meant the sacrifice of her life, She's willing to sacrifice her life if it means if the Haman is going to be killed as well. So incredible. So the Gemara said, Rabbi Gamil Omer, Rabbi Gamil said that ultimately, again, this was a king. This was a king who was constantly going back and forth. 
So because was the king was going back and forth, Esther said the same way, the same way that Haman was really able to convince him with a relatively short argument, perhaps again, if we're all in the room together, I'll be able to convince him to retract his words as well. These are all great ideas, but we still need the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer Hamodi. So the Gemara, this time Rabbi Eliezer Hamodi, Omer, Esther was very smart. What was she trying to do? She was trying to create strife between Haman and everyone around him. So by inviting him to a party with just the king, it's interesting, She's creating strife between him and the king. Because the king is like, why is my queen inviting someone else to a party with me? Right? Haman's not my equal. Right? Haman's not my peer. And for the other ministers, it's creating animosity. So she is so... It's an amazing thing. Certain things in life don't change. Ego drives everything. And especially in politics. And especially in leadership. Ego, unfortunately, plays such a dominant role. So play on people's egos. Make people, right? Why is he getting more covered than me? Why is he getting more attention than me? And it's just a matter of time until everyone turns against Haman. Pretty incredible. Rabbi Amar, Lifnei Shevergon. Rabbi says, you see from here that before, literally again, before downfall is arrogance. Abai Rav Darmit Harvayu, Bechomim Arshis Es Mishtehem. Again, another post to support this idea. So listen to this. So Elio, we have all these different opinions as to why Esther kind of hatched her plan to make the party. Who's right? Who's right? Kulu Tanoi Elio and Avi said, they're all right. In other words, I will say, remember again, these approaches are not mutually exclusive. It could be that Esther had all of these cheshbonos. So they'll both say, I often think, I often think that the godless of Esther is, at times, she did not know what she was doing. In other words, the Pasha Pshat in the Megillah is she invited him to a party. Why did she invite him to a party? Why? Because the truth is, she's hoping that something's going to happen, right? The courage of Esther HaMalka, see, there's no great, I shouldn't say, it's, it's understandable when in life you have a great plan and you take action. That makes sense. What's even a greater level is when you don't have a plan, but you know action has to be taken and you rise to the occasion. See, that was the greatness of Esther Amalka. She didn't have a plan. She, she didn't have a plan. These, these are all interpretations. She didn't have a plan, right? But she also knew I have to do something. And the ability to act even in the absence of a plan because you know something has to be done is in and of itself such a dramatic idea. So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Sapalim Haman is Kvod Ashro, Verov Banav. So I will say, Haman told this to his family members, right? He told his family members the greatness of his wealth. Rov Banav. The Kamar Rov Banav. How many sons did Haman have? Amar Amarav Lamid. 30 sons. Asara Mesu. 10 of them died. Vasara Nitlu. 10 of them were hanged. Vasara Machzirin Alap Sochim. And ultimately, again, 10 of them became beggars. No, no, he had 70 sons, ultimately, who became beggars. It's very interesting. Says, no, altogether, Haman had 208 sons. One second. Rov in Gematria is 114. 
Ultimately, again, it's written virav chaser. Okay. By the way, we don't have time for it now, but we'll hopefully we'll get to it. Emir Hashem to hear a little bit about Haman's descendants as well. Some very interesting things happen from the descendants of Haman. Who survived? We'll discuss. So the sorry. That night, the king could not sleep. Who couldn't sleep that night? When it says the king couldn't sleep, it's not a reference to Haman. Who is it a reference to? To Achashverosh. For Amri, Elyonim, Tachtonim. Because so this is beautiful. You look at Rashi. Elyonim the Malachim were stirring in the heavens, and they kept Achashverosh awake. The Malachim would not let Achashverosh sleep, because they wanted Achashverosh ultimately again to give thought. Remember again, what happens that night? We're going to see. Rava Amar, Shnas Hanach Achashverosh Mamish. That was Achashverosh could not sleep. Why couldn't he sleep? So ultimately, again, here's what he begins to think. Rebbe says, Esther's plan worked beautifully. He began to think, Here's what's going through Achashirish's mind. Why did Esther invite Haman to a party? Are they planning a coup? Are they planning a coup, a rebellion against me? And if so, and if so, Hadra Amar, and if they're planning a coup, do I have no allies who would tell me about the coup? Is there no one who would tell me about this? To which the Gemara says, Hadra Amar, Dilma Ika Inish Da Abad Bituvusa, Velo Pirate, Bishum Hachi Mimna Ishi Velo Megali. Well, maybe no one tells me because maybe they look at me as an ingrate. Maybe I'm the kind of person when people do good for me, I don't repay them with good, and therefore no one's telling me anything. In other words, what Haman is concerned about is maybe in the past there was someone who did good for me and I never repaid them for their chesed. That's why I have no allies. So what does he do? So what does Achashir say? Immediately, bring me my Sefer Zichronos. Right? Bring me my book of remembrance. And let me see. Maybe there is someone to whom I, to, who did good for me and I did not properly repay. And this is why. And this is why I have no allies who would inform me about a potential coup. So the Gemara says, Amazing as a miracle occurred and literally again when Achashir opened this book, the, reds, the words read themselves, which is part of this narrative, right? The Malachim are keeping Achashverosh awake. They're planting this seed in his mind. There's a rebellion brewing. Why is no one telling me? I have no friends. I have no allies. Maybe because I never went ahead and did good by those who did good by me. Sigmar says he found the rin. Kasav mi it shouldn't say kasuv, it should say kasuv. Melamed, top of tazayin, shimshi mochek, the Gabriel kosev. This is incredible. Shimshi, shimshi, was the scribe of Achashverosh. Shimshi found this account of Mordechai, right? That Mordechai had saved Achashverosh from the assassination attempt. And what was Shimshi doing? He's erasing it. And every single time Shimshi erased it, the Malach Gabriel came and rewrote it. Incredible. Some Rabbi Asi Darshab Shila Ishkartan Rasa, if, if writing in this world, which ultimately highlights the merits of the righteous, cannot be erased, 
Then Alachas Kama Vakama, when we do something good, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu inscribes it in his Sefer HaZechronos, his book of remembrance in the celestial sphere, Alachas Kama Vakama, that it's never erased. Lo So remember again, so Achashirosh finds out that that nothing was ever done for for Mordechai. Amar Rava, lo Mordechai, ela So we'll say, remember again, at this point when when the scribe, when Shimshi tells Ach- or Hasach tells Achashverosh that nothing was ever done for Mordechai, it's not because they love Mordechai, but rather what? It's because they hated Haman. See, I will say, at this, what's amazing is you begin to see the subtext of this. The tide began to turn against Haman. No, people don't like him. And because of that, again, what is it? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right? So that at this point in time, they'd rather side with Mordechai than Haman. It's incredible. So, so the Gemara says, Heichin lo. Heichin lo. So the Pasuk said, I will say, so remember again, at this same time, Achashverosh hears construction in the in the in the courtyard. This is what's going on in the courtyard. Mibachatzer, what's happening? And remember again, Haman had come to erect the gallows upon which he was going to go ahead and hang hang Mordechai. So hechin lo that he has prepared for him. Tana lo hechin. Right, the gallows hechin lo that more excuse me that Haman prepared for Mordechai lo hechin were prepared for Haman himself. So remember again, Achashverosh summons Haman, and this is the famous exchange, right, where he says, where he says to Achashverosh, what should we do for the person? Right? So remember, Haman thinks that the king is talking about him, and he goes through this whole list of things that the king should do. Achashverosh says, great idea, do all of this for Mordechai. Amar Manu Mordechai. So listen to this. So Haman, Haman plays dumb. This is Mordechai who? I don't know, there's Mordechai Schwartz, Mordechai Epstein, right? Who, 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 which, which Mordechai are you talking about? Amrle Hayyehudi, right? Mordechai Hayyehudi. Amrle, Tuva Mordechai Ika. There are those Jews, so many of them, right? It's like, it's like going into Crown Heights and asking for Menachem Mendel, right? So, right, so what, what are you going to do? You're going right, to you're, you're you're go into, right? You're going to go into, you're going to go into Shushan and ask for Mordechai. There's so many Mordechai, so many Mordechais. So it says the Gemara, Amr Alei, Hayoshev Bishar HaMelech. I don't know, the Mordechai who sits by the king's gate. Amr Alei, Sagele Bechad Deskarta, Inamim Bechad Nara. The truth is, king, you don't have to do all of this. Why don't you just give him one city or one river? In other words, what, what Haman was saying was give him a city from which he could collect taxes or give him a river that has a bridge from which he could collect tolls. And that's rewarded financially. You don't have to do this whole display of, of allowing him to wear the king's clothing and riding on the king's horse. Not necessary. King says, you know what? That's a great idea. In addition to everything else, also give him a city and give him a toll bridge. Do not leave off anything you said. So must I get ready for this story. So therefore, Haman, exceptionally humbled and chastened, right, goes in and takes, the clothing takes the horse. So this is incredible. So we'll say, so what happens? So Haman goes to find Mordechai. Finds Mordechai, and he finds Mordechai giving a shear. What is Mordechai giving a shear on? Remember again, what's kamitza? You offer up a cup of mincha. What do you do? Right, the mincha is, is flour together, oil mixed together. Cohen takes his three middle fingers, scoops up, shaves off the side. That's the piece, right? What you catch in the three middle fingers, that's what's put on the mizbeach. 
The rest of it is consumed by the Kohanim. So they're learning Helchos Kamitza. Kevin Dechazi Mordechai Da'apik Lekable. Sorry, sorry. Kevin Dechazi Mordechai Da'apik Lekable Vesusim Yachabiyade Mirsas. When Mordechai sees Haman approaching with clothing and a horse, he becomes afraid. He says, Haman's coming to kill me. So Mordechai quickly disbands the shear, tells the Rabbanon, run away. Haman is here to kill me. Don't get caught up in this. Literally translated, it means don't get burned by his coal. Go save yourselves. So Mordechai decides, he wraps himself in the dadas. Mordechai is right, he's saying vidui. Right, he's done, he's done. So Mordechai apparently is like davening, and he's taking a long time. Haman sits there, Haman sits there while he's finishing Shemona Esrei. Tell him, so Haman says, incredible. Haman says to Mordechai, see, both say, we know this. They knew each other. They knew each other. Right? This is not two people, right? They know each other. Remember, we saw yesterday's that Haman was Mordechai's slave, was his servant. Mordechai bought him for 10 loaves of bread. They knew each other. So Haman says, no, what are you learning? Right? What, what were you giving the shir on? So I'm like, We're learning about Kmitza and Kmitza. During times of the Beis HaMikdosh, a person brought the carbon Mincha, they would take a Kmitza from the Mincha, and they would affect the Talmud through the Kmitza. So listen to what Haman says. Ultimately, again, your little Kmitza has overpowered my 10,000 silver shkalim. In other words, at this point in time, it appears that Haman realizes the tide has turned. Right? He realizes now that this is the beginning of his downfall. Your little, your little Kamitsa has undone, has undone my 10,000 shkalim. I'll just mention very quickly, you know, it's interesting that they're learning Hilchos Kamitsa. Right? Why are they learning Hilchos Kamitsa? So we'll say there's something very profound about Kamitsa. Number one, the Musa of Kamitsa is... HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need you to do a lot. He just needs us to do a little. As long as we do it with heart. As long as we do it with Kavana, right? The Kamitz is just a tiny little bit of flour that you put on the Mizbeach. As long as you give something to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And remember again what Mordechai is trying to inspire the Jews. We have to do something. And it doesn't really have to be dramatic. It could just be a Kamitz. It could just be something. It be so important. The Rebbe does not require heroic activity. He just requires activity. Just do something. Just advance myself in some way. Just work on one little thing, just the Kamitsa. You know what the other half of Kamitsa is? Siyabasa Kamitsa also teaches us that in life, you hold on to very little of what you grab onto. Right? You know what I'm saying? Isn't it an incredible thing? Right? You go, like, like Chazal tell us, a person is born into this world and their hands are open. Right? As if to say, I'm going to take everything. And then when we die, our hands are often clenched often highlighting the fact that we hold on to very little of what we try to grab. We try to grab a lot of things in life. And the cloud Godel is, you know, we'll say a good metaphor for life. You know, like when you go like to like an arcade or something, they have that claw game, that claw game. I don't know what the statistics are in the claw game, right? But I would venture to say someone's making a lot of money off those machines, right? Because it's such an incredible metaphor for life. Most of the stuff you try to hold on to, you don't really hold on to. So therefore, be very careful for what you grab for. See, Kamitsa says you hold on to very little. 
So think a lot about what you're trying to grab onto. Think a lot about what you're trying, what you're spending your life trying to acquire. Because most of the things you grab, you will drop. But therefore, pay attention. What are the things you want in life? Go after those things. But ultimately, don't try to chop everything. This is true. Materialism is true on so many different levels. But so that's the halachos of kumitzah. So ultimately, again, I will say often, when do people realize this lesson that you hold on to very little of what you try to grab onto? When they're near death. When they're near death. See, in life, we think we can hold on to everything. When you're staring death in the face, as the Jews of Shushan were, you begin to see life in such a dramatically. You see life through the lens of kamitsa. Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't need everything, he just needs something. You hold on to very little of what you really grab onto in life, and therefore, be attentive to what you try to grab. In any event, so excuse me, Haman is overwhelmed by the fact, he says, that here, your little kamitsa, your little kamitsa went ahead and offset my thousands of shkalim. Amrali Rasha, Evet shekan nechasim evet lemi, nechasim lemi. So listen to this. And Mordechai says, Rasha, what do you mean you're 10,000 shkalim? You're my servant, right? You're my servant. Who does the servant belong to? Who does everything, what does everything else belong to? Amrali kum lavosh hanimani uruch of Fine. So Mama says, all right, enough of small talk. Right? Put the clothing on, get on the horse. Right? Put the clothing on, get on the horse. So Yomar says, this is what the king wants you to do. So what happens? So, so Mordechai says, listen, I've been fasting. It's not right to put on the clothing. I have to go to the bathhouse. I have to take a bath. And I need a haircut. Right? I have to, I have to look correctly. So we'll say what happens. So we'll say what happened. So ultimately, again, Esther quickly right, puts out a decree. All the barbershops close, all the bathhouses close. So what happens? Save one, save one. So the Gemara says, So I'll say what happens? Why does she close up everything? Because essentially, again, she causes Haman to act as the bathhouse attendant and as the barber for Mordechai. So Haman goes back to his house, gets his scissors, as we're going to see, Haman was a barber also, right? So, so, so she, she, she humiliates Haman by forcing him to act as the bathhouse attendant and as the barber for Mordechai. So as Haman is giving the haircut to Mordechai, he sighs. Amrle, am I kamis nachas? So Mordechai says, Taman, why why you sign? Amrle, Gavra, the Havachashim, first white line. Gavra, the Havachashim, the Lamalkam, and Kulod Ravnui. Hashtal, Shavye, Balani, the Sapper. The minister who was so important in the eyes of the king, now I'm a bathhouse attendant, now I'm a barber. Amrle, Rasha, the Lav Sapper, Shakvar Kartsum, Hayisa. Tana, Haman, Sapper, Shakvar Kartsum, Haya. Esrim, Vishtaim, Shana. So I will say, listen to this. Mordechai says, Haman, you were a barber. For 22 years, you were the barber in Kfar Kartzum. Let's not get, let's not, let, let, let's not go ahead and get so, so carried away with yourself. Which is also an incredible Moser to sometimes be humble about our beginning, no matter what we accomplish in life, to always remember our humble beginnings and to always, just to always approach life with a sense of humility. So Haman is saying being a barber is so beneath me. To which Adish Mordechai says, What are you talking about? That's who you were for 22 years. So the Gemara says, So after Haman gave Mordechai a haircut, he gets him dressed. All right, get on the horse and ride it. You know what? I'd love to get on the horse. I'm really weakened from all the days of fasting and I can't mount the horse. 
Gachin v'salik. So ultimately, again, literally, Haman bends down so that Mordechai could use him as a step to get onto the horse. Ki salik, as he's getting on the horse, stepping on Achashverosh, ba'at bay. He kicks Haman. He kicks him. Amar lay. So Haman's taking a little take him back. He says, Ksiv l'chu, binfal ayvechal tismach. So this is pretty incredible, right? So Haman says, Mordechai, Mordechai, it's beneath you. Right? The Pasuk says, you should not rejoice in the downfall of your enemies. Amar lay, Mordechai responds, Hani mili bi Yisrael. That's how you met a Jewish enemy. Aval bedidach uksiv, v'ata bamoseinu tijroch. By you, it says we're supposed to trample on the high places. You, Haman, are the kind of enemy that we kick when you're down and we celebrate when you fall. So now, at this point in time, right, Mordechai, take a bath, got a haircut, kicked Haman on the side, got on the horse, right, and he's being led through the streets. And Haman is calling out, this is what you do for the man who the king, who the king favors. So we'll say, watch this story. As, Mor- as Haman was leading Mordechai down the horse, right by the street where Haman lived. So Haman's daughter is standing on the rooftop. She assumes the guy on the horse is her father, and the guy leading the horse is Mordechai. What did she do? She takes the bedpan from the house, the latrine from the house, and she dumps it out on the guy leading the horse. So then he lifted his eyes. And she saw it was her father. At that point, she threw herself off the roof. She, she took her own life. She was so humiliated about what she did to her father that she took her own life. Because that's why the positive Mordechai went back to the gate of the king. So he returned to his sackcloth and to his mourning. And Haman returned to his home in a state of mourning and with his head covered. Avel Albito, he was mourning for his daughter. The Chafui Rosh and his head covered. Al Sheiralo, his head covered with a. So I'll just point out over here. You know there is a certain tragic element in this story as well. How it's amazing how what Gaiva does to people, what arrogance does to people, and how arrogance, by the way, doesn't just affect you. But arrogance affect your family also, right? And arrogance, that the, the the traumatic fallout of arrogance is that it ruins anything and everything around you as well. Haman told the story to Zeresh's wife and to all who loved him. It calls him his loved ones and the wise ones. What's going on? Whoever says something wise, is called Chacham. Remember again, now everybody's tune changes. And they say to Haman, you know, by the way, if Mordechai is a Jew, pretty much you're not going to be able to overcome him. If, if Mordechai is from the other Shvatim, potentially you could overcome him. However, But if he's from one of those tribes, Yehuda, Binyamin, Ephraim, Nasha, those tribes are vested with an additional amount of strength, and you will not be able to overcome Mordechai. Yehuda dechsev yadcha ba'arev avecha. Yehuda, because it says your hand will be on the nape of, on, the, on the neck of your enemies. Because here the positive says before Ephraim Binyamin, Nasha, awaken your strength. Kinafal tipa lefanov. 
because Haman, you will surely fall before Mordechai. Why does it talk about nafal tipal? Why two fallings? It's interesting, I both say. The Jews, Jewish nation, are compared to the dust and compared to the stars. Kishen Yardin, when we experience a downfall, Yardin Ada Afar. When we fall, we fall hard. We fall hard to the dust. But when we ascend, right, when we ascend, we're able to ascend all the way to the stars. So we'll say, so what happened? Now, Haman's in the middle of this whole discussion, and then the attendants of the queen, or of the king, I should say, of the king, come to bring him to the second party. They brought him in a state of Bahala, right? We'll say Bahala confusion, right? Haman has lost his daughter, had, had a bedpan dumped on his head, kicked by Mordechai, gave a haircut to Mordechai. Everything is just, everything is just crazy. And he's brought, he's hurried now to the party. So we'll say now fast forward a little bit. Now here is where Esther says, karnu ani So ultimately again, Esther says, my, I have been sold. Right? My, me and my nation have been sold to destruction. And she says, if we were just sold as slaves, I wouldn't say anything. What does this mean? She says, this Tsar, Haman, Haman, does not care about any harm that comes to the king. I'll show you how. Look what Haman's done to you, king. He got upset. He became jealous of Vashti. He wanted Vashti's influence and power. So what does he do? He turns you against Vashti and you killed her. Now, Haman is turning against me and he wants me killed as well. Why does he two Vayomers? Listen to this. This is incredible. This entire time, Achashverosh was talking to Esther through a Torgamon, through an interpreter, through a third party. Right? This is just wild. Achashverosh never spoke directly to Esther. He spoke to her through an intermediary. Why? Since he did not know who she was, he felt perhaps it was unfitting for him to speak to a commoner directly. When she divulges her identity, that she, number one, she's Jewish, but she comes from royalty. Because remember again, Esther comes from who? From Shaul, who was a king. Once he heard that she was monarchy, then he began to speak to her directly. It's incredible. When she said, She was going to point at Achashverosh. She was going to give Achashverosh, You are such a manoval. You are such a Russia. She had a little angelic intervention that just nudged the finger a little bit to the side and moved it towards Haman. Right? A good idea for Esther, to, for Esther not to give Ahasuerus too much musr. So the king gets up in his anger. Right, The king is overwhelmed by this revelation. So the Gemara says, He went outside and then he came back from the garden. Like when he got up, ultimately he was angry. So when he comes back from the garden, he's also angry. So we'll say, what happened? Because when he went out to the garden, what did he see? The Listen to this. He goes out to the garden and he saw angels dressed up as workmen, disguised as workmen. And what were the angels doing? They were uprooting his garden. So he says to them, my what are you doing? 
Haman. Haman told us to do this. Sabasay so comes out to the garden. Haman's uprooting the road. First of all, say, you see, by the way, the amount of angelic intervention that's happening here. And what a metaphor for life. You know, you never have any idea how many Malachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu is dispatching all around us to help shape circumstances, right? Malachim everywhere, which is pretty amazing for a safer written without a Navi, right? Without any Nevuah, there are Malachim doing anything and everything. Asa, what happened? Asa, they say, Achashirish comes back inside. Bahaman nofel al hamita. Haman fell on the bed. So nofel, nofel, what does it say mean, nofel? Nofel, it should say. Amrabalazar melame, sheba malach ve pilu alau. Malach came and pushed Haman on the bed on top of Esther. Achashverish comes in. Well, so you have to imagine this scene. Achashverish comes in. Vaimi beise, vaimi bavra. I, what is happening in my garden, I, what is happening in my house, right? In my garden, Haman is uprooting trees. In my house, I'm not sure exactly what Haman is trying to do. So again, Ahasuerus says, are you trying to conquer the king with me in the homeland? Are you trying to take advantage of the queen? And I'm right here. Also says, by the way, by the way, king, those gallows, is from Mordechai, who saved your life. Now, what's the Gemara? By the way, don't think Charvona is a big tzaddik, right? Even though we say Gam, even though we say Gam Charvona Zachor Latov, Charvona was a Rasha. He was a Rasha. Bahay Rasha also itza. Kevin Shirash Shalon is Kaima Atzaso Miad Barak. See, I'm saying Charvona was on Haman's side until when? Until when? Until he realized that Haman was going to lose. See, I'm saying it's it's a sad thing, but people are often opportunistic. Right? Let's say it's a very important, it's a sobering episode in life. Many people are opportunistic. And maybe even you can say most times people do what's best for them. That's why I both say, you know, people like to talk about all their friends, all their friends, all their friends. In life, maybe you have one or two real friends. Maybe. Maybe. Right? And maybe three or four if you're very popular. A lot of times it's just one. And sometimes for many people it's none. Because a lot of times it's, it's hard, it's a hard lesson in life. But people often do things for what's best for them. If there's, if, if our, if our, if we have mutual alignment for what we need, fantastic. But the moment that alignment falls out, people are gonna do what's best for them. And friendships, quote unquote friendships, often fall by the wayside. I know that sounds very jaded. Anyway, I will say, but, but it's the MS in life, and it's Kedai to know that people are often agenda driven. So, Charvona, Charvona is not a tzaddik. Right, Chavona just realized, wow, Haman's lost. Haman's lost. So I better switch teams quickly, very quickly, because that's the only way I keep my life and I keep my position. So the Gemara goes weiter. So they, they, they hanged Haman, and as a result, the Gemara says, The anger, the king's anger subsided. Who's the, why, why two angers, right? Or why two subsidings? One for Akadosh Baruch Hu, one for Akadosh Or others say, one was the anger of Esther, and one was the almost like revenge of Vashti. Lukulam, not so. say now we're switching gears a little bit. So say that is the end of the Megillah. <laughs> that is the end of the Megillah. What 
What a drush and say how much more we appreciate Megillah's Esther. Now that we know this entire sub-story, all of these different narratives, incredible. So we'll say now, we're, but we're not finished. We're not finished. We're finished with the Megillah. So listen to this. L'kula nasan li'ish chalifa smalosh, or l'binyamin nasan chamesh chalifa. So we'll say, remember again, after Yosef reveals his identity to his brothers back in Parshas Vayigash, so the Torah says that Yosef gave to each of the brothers a change of clothing, and to Binyamin he gave five changes of clothing. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. So how could it be that the very thing that caused Yosef so much pain that he was going to do the same thing in his family? What is this a reference to? Because Yaakov Avinu spent literally again $10 extra, by example, $10 extra on Yosef's coat, more than the other brother's coat, what happened? Niskal gil the matter escalated v'yardu avosin l'mitzrayim. And we were led down to Egypt. Both say, Chazal blame Egyptian exile on Yaakov Avinu. You played favorites. You played favorites. You spent $10 more on Yosef's coat than all of the other brothers. And what happened? It created such strife, such animosity, and it ultimately led down to the relocation of the family to Egypt, which ultimately led to the servitude, barbaric servitude in Egypt. And now, Binyamin, sorry, sorry, Yosef, you're, you, you're the one who suffered. You suffered. 22 years you're separated from your family. The time you were sold as a piece of chattel, you spent time in prison, you were degraded, you were dehumanized, and now you're doing the same thing. Right, you give all the brothers the children, you give Binyamin five changes of clothing, says the Gemara, no, no, no. I'm Rabbi Binyamin Bar Yafes, Remez Ramazlo. No, this was a symbolic gift. That Yosef was foreshadowing that Binyamin was going to have a descendant who was going to go out before the king in five articles of clothing. Who's the descendant to whom we are referring? Mordechai Atzadik. Mordechai is a descendant of Binyamin. Ishimini. Right, Umordechai, Umordechai, Yatsa Bilvush Malchus Tcheles Osei. So the pasuk is Bilvush Malchus Tcheles Chor Aterazav Gidula Tachrich Ubutz Vagavan. So Osei. So again, you have Mordechai coming out in all of these articles of clothing. So the five articles of clothing that Yosef gave to Binyamin symbolically represent the five articles of clothing that Mordechai was going to wear when he was paraded out before the people. So the Gemara says, Osei. The Marsha says. That's great, but it doesn't answer the question, right? It doesn't answer the question. In other words, Yosef is still showing favoritism. Tamar Shas is very interesting that the value of the five changes of clothing that Mordechai gave to Binyamin was of equal value to the one set of clothing that Yosef gave to all of the other brothers. So that the brothers realized that Binyamin wasn't getting more, that they realized that there was a symbolism attached to this gift that they did not necessarily understand. The value was the same for all of the brothers. Just Binyamin was given a more symbolic lift, gift in four, five articles of clothing. Incredible. So I'll say, now once we're talking about Yosef and Binyamin, the Gemara said, Vayipol, Remember again, the Pasuk says, Yosef fell on the necks of Binyamin, and Binyamin fell on the neck of Yosef. How many necks did Binyamin have? 
right? That it says Yosef cried on his necks. On Rabbi Lazar, Bachal Ashne Mikdashim Shasidun Lios Pechal Koshal Binyamin. Ultimately, again, I will say Yosef cried for the two Bate Mikdash, the first base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash, that are in the tribal area of Binyamin, that would both be destroyed. Vasidun Licharev. Ubinyamin Bacha Al Savarov, and Binyamin cried on the neck of Yosef. What did he cry for? Binyamin cried ultimately again for the Mishkan that would be in the tribal area at Shiloh, which was in the area of Menashe and Ephraim. Incredible, I will say. There's so much to say about that also. You remind me, Bernard can't get to it this morning. So I will say, the Pasuk says, Yosef says to his brothers, You see, your eyes see, and the eyes of Binyamin see. Amr Abelazar, Amr Lohem. Yosef says to his brother, the same way, I bear no animosity towards Binyamin because he was not involved in my sale. So too, I bear no animosity towards you, my brothers, as well. For it is my mouth that is speaking to you. Say, listen to this. Shabbos said, this is incredible. Yosef says, I promise you, what I'm saying, Kipi, Kainli be. What I'm saying is the way I feel. I both say sometimes the most difficult life in relationships is when people are echad bepeh echad belave. They say one thing, but they feel something different. Yosef says to his brothers, Kipi kilibi, I promise you, where the words that are coming out of my mouth reflect the sentiments that I possess in my heart. And to his father, to Yaakov Avinu, he sent 10 donkeys laden with the best things of Egypt. So He sent an aged wine. Because old people like aged wine. Young people like aged wine also. But the mice, again, this was a spirit. Apparently, again, it has a special impact, a special importance for older people. So the brothers come before Yosef and they prostrate themselves before him. This is what people mean when they say, when the fox has his moment, bow down to him. So I will say, so interestingly enough, again, the fox is not the, is not the king of the jungle. He's not the most important of the animals. But even the fox, when he has his moment of greatness, respect him. So the Gemara says, Tala? I don't understand how is Yosef the fox, right? Yosef is the viceroy in Egypt. He has all the power. The brothers have none of the power. So my bitsiru se me'achva, why is he any less than his brothers? Ella, i it marhakir, that's what you have to say. That when you remember when Yaakov and Yosef are reunited and Yosef comes to visit Yaakov, Yaakov bows down to Yosef. That's what it means when the fox has his moment bowed down to him. In that case, again, Yosef, when compared to his father, Yaakov was the god, Yosef was not. But yet Yaakov exhibits honor towards Yosef. When the fox has his moment, show him respect. Yosef consoled his brothers, he spoke to their hearts. Yosef said to his brothers things, good words that penetrated the heart. What did he say to them? If ten candles, reference to the brothers, could not extinguish one candle, reference to Yosef. So the Gemara says, then how could one candle go ahead and extinguish ten of them? So we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up. We'll say, don't worry. Tomorrow, the dap and begin to get shorter. We'll catch up. I will say, what a day. What a day. What a Gemara. Shkayach, everyone.